Anna, tell us, a, yeah. tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background. That bit can be really long and really short because uh, I've been working in HR for 20 years, so I'm not going into detail about this. <laughs> but uh, basically, I was fortunate that my first job ever was in a tech startup. Uh, it was definitely the, it was the week of their IPO. Um, we called it new economy back then. <laughs> it was a startup. Yeah. And I was thrown into recruiting and... I kind of I, I kind of figured out that this is what I want to do for the rest of my career. Um, so uh, I had various jobs. I was an executive search for a couple of years. Um, I worked at corporates. I worked for SMEs. I worked for startups, in and out tech companies, and mostly digital industries. Um, and now I find myself at the intersection between technology and innovation in HR, which mm-hmm. is obviously a lot of HR tech startups, for example, that I work with. But I also have one foot still in the HR practitioner's role. And I also work with a lot of companies where I help with talent strategies. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of um, advocating for changing how we run HR and also embracing technology more, but also not being super naive and blind about it. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm very thorough with what I like and what I don't like around this whole HR tech realm. But being in both worlds is definitely helpful. And it's also a niche I found myself very, very comfortable in. So this is what I do. So you can call it HR tech. You can call it whatever you want. I think it's about Mm -hmm. thinking about innovation in HR. Just this is this is my theme. Ah, I like it. And uh, just drawing on your kind of recruitment experience and things like this, one one of the things I've noticed when I've joined companies in the past working in startups and scale ups and things like that is that when the pressure is on to kind of grow the organization, then culture kind of takes a backseat a lot of the time um, until they realize it causes a lot of problems when they're not keeping figuring out um, these things. Like what what kind of role do you think that the recruitment team play or in your experience, how important is it uh, that they help to shape the culture and have a good understanding of what, mm-hmm. what you're trying to create in the company? So you could argue that TA is probably or recruitment or whatever you, label you want to give it, right? Um, let's just call it TA. So I think if, if you can consider TA something like to be the gatekeeper of who would be joining a company in the best manner possible, they're also obviously having an impact on the culture. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're both in Berlin, right? You know, famous clubs like Berkheim, consider them to be the bouncer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they get to decide who's on the dance floor or not. And obviously that will change the vibe in whichever manner you want. And then you can also use TA strategically to change what is inside and to get more of the people that you don't have or to just get more people of the ones that you have. Either or, it requires that TA knows very much about what kind of profiles they're looking for and what's the baseline culture, whatever you want to define this at, that people should have with them when they join on top of the skills and functional capabilities that they also obviously need. And I think this is where specifically startups in hyper growth or whatever you want to call this um, struggle with because they're just filling skill gaps. And Mm -hmm. then obviously they need to cut down on the requirements that they will usually have when it comes to additional culture fit, Mm -hmm. which is also a thing that you can debate, right? Whether the culture fit actually exists or not. But either or, I think that the shared values or behaviors, let's just mm-hmm. be very simple, call it behaviors. If they don't, if they're not able to select upon those because they just need to fill roles quickly, obviously mm-hmm. it will create an, an issue later on. There is a big imbalance just between what an, a hiring manager would want and be able to verbalize to someone who is in charge of filling a role 
and to what yeah. the a, the TA leader person would potentially need in order to do that properly. I still see a lot of startups specifically who would do this just on the basis of a job ad. So as in, oh, I wrote you a job ad and probably they just copy pasted it from something they found on Google. And uh, this is the DevOps person we need because everyone has a DevOps and we need DevOps too. Yeah. And no one knows shit about what DevOps is, right? I mean, when you are an executive search, you get all those trendy things, right? Because people mm. just call you up and said, I'm going to call my executive search company and look for a growth hacker because everyone has a growth hacker. I saw this on AngelList. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And then they just dump it on the exec search company, hoping that they know what this is. Anyways, yeah. I think that if your basis is a job ad just where you, where there's like marketing slang for whatever role you want to fill, this is not a good enough starting point for a really thorough recruiter to get the work started mm -hmm. um, because it will give you all the skills and probably some requirements, not knowing though if these are really mandatory or not, mm. but it's not a good one. I think if startups would be more, more thorough in writing really good job specs mm -hmm. and really figuring out why they need this person, what this person should be doing, what's the impact of the role, yada, 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 then I think it would be way clearer for a TA person to find the right people. If they actually did that process that you just described, that would really allow them to see some of the underlying issues that people tend to not uh, delve into, right? And that would probably then lend to a lot of like um, exploring how they could solve those things or make the, the life better for those people as well. So I think there, there, there is a tendency sometimes when you're busy and, oh, we, we're, we're running really fast to, to a little bit to bury your head in the sand and to avoid issues that are there, right? So if you're not writing a thorough job description, then um, it can be it can have a huge knock-on effect on the chain, right? You're not discuss you're not figuring out what the issues are that exist right now. You're not really getting uh, in depth about you know what what you're looking for, and you're probably going to have a sloppy recruitment process, and then you're going to end up with a person that can't have the impact on the other side, right? So maybe. Maybe it all links together as well from that one one thing that you said, actually. Yeah, and executive search, we call it just bullshit in, bullshit out, right? I can give you a list <laughs> of people that you could potentially hire, but I don't know if that's the best list. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like dating. You just go in a bar and say, oh, I want to I want to date someone who's like a tall blonde with either high or very low IQ. And then you still go out with the brunette. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but this some, is... You've I, got some nice anecdotes. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should you should let your podcast listeners know that we recorded this on a friday <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's in the morning though it's not friday having beers after work so it's <laughs> oh no but this is i mean yeah speaking of culture right i mean this is probably something yeah. that you do at sum up is the the usual artifacts and routines of the friday afternoon beer right or evening yeah. beer yeah, it, we've we've matured a bit now. It used to be Friday cocktails every Friday, but now you know we things are maturing. So there is a fridge full of beers, and you know there's a table tennis table, all the cliches that you might that you might want. Um, but we we try to, you know, you you have to do these things as you grow, right? You have to have these basic tenets of, of what people would expect now in in somewhere like Berlin, and then what you have to grow around it is like a meaningful culture around that, right? Which which I think th this is just nice to have and. Uh, well, actually, it's expected now in Berlin, right, to have these things. But what you really, the, the key things I think that people come to work for are to have an impact, right? Um, so you can have all of these things, but if it's if there is no clarity and people can't have an impact, it doesn't matter if you put beers in the, the fridge or a table tennis table in the kitchen, people won't enjoy their work. Yeah. I mean, if you were to dissect culture in what, 
what is also part of it. I think mm -hmm. artifacts such as the football table and the beers and whatever is definitely something that maybe people even expect because it makes the, the vibe of the office, right? right? It makes it more playful, it makes it more fun and you want to just hang more. But it's probably not why people take the job or remain in the job, um, no. specifically if it becomes the standard. And mm -hmm. because I was, I was recently at the office at Microsoft in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. and they have this gigantic football table that probably fits I don't know 20 people. I'm not even sure how long a game will, will be lasting. Um, <laughs> and obviously, this tells me it can you can grow the football table to be to have the most impressive yeah. football table, but still. People yeah. people don't join you because of that, and they don't stay because of it, or they don't even leave for the lack of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, culture it, is a super fuzzy thing because we don't know what is yeah. actually what it does because it also means something different for everyone else, right? For some person, yeah. it might be super important that it's playful and casual and fun, mm -hmm. and they can meet friends and make friends at work and all those things. And for some, mm -hmm. it's less important because other things matter more. And this is why. There is no magic magic wand for how to build yeah. a culture. There is things that you can do right and things that you can really like f up. Uh, yeah. And I think that you should just be on a constant endeavor in figuring out what the culture at this state at your company mm. is at that moment, and then also to just be aware of where you might potentially lose people because you're lacking to do stuff or you're doing too much of the wrong things. But I don't yeah. think it's a static thing. It can never be per se by the nature of it. It always needs to be monitored and, and I don't know, uh, maintained in some manner. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's um, a constant thing that you need to reflect on and look at. And it's it's constantly evolving with whoever comes into the door and whoever joins the company. And, mm -hmm. and, and it's different things to different people. And and I think in, in my experience and, and what we try to work on here at SumUp, um, it, it's always evolving, right? So it's not perfect. It's not, you know, there's there's lots of things to work on, as, as you say. But I think what, what we try to do and to give you a good pillar for, for the culture, the things that we worked on, were, were or a good foundation for the culture sorry uh, we try to we first try to look at the vision right the vision mm -hmm. the mission the purpose like why are we here because the, the why i think is the most important thing to build in a good culture like um actually as you said people need it's, it's not so simon sinek <laughs> No, I know, I know, I know, but but it's it's so true. Like because people don't, the the football table might keep people there for a while, but but actually it's like the, people get very excited and passionate and inspired because of why you're trying to do something. But this is just a part of it, right? I think. Um, we try to we try to look at. I mean, we we um, try to make um, payments. In, for for small merchants right um so it, it's quite inspiring to think that you're helping like entrepreneurs to like live their dreams and to and to make their life easy you could easily just say okay well it's a payment device right um but but actually what we um we, there is a whole ecosystem we're trying to build around it so you try to inspire people by saying well actually what we're trying to do is um create a world where they where these small businesses can actually do what they love and and these people can live their dreams and um, we call them like our everyday heroes. But I think this is part. And then then what we looked at was like, okay, well, well, where are we trying to go? What type of company are we trying to be? Right. So and this can be buzzwords, but but we you know, we want to be innovative. And, and then I, I think the journey of the culture is to is to track back. Well, okay, but we are here now. Right. So this is what we have right now. This is what people think of us. This is what people think the culture is. And this is where we want to get to. So how do we put little things in like guiding principles and values and, and and rules in there that that help people to understand like 
how we become innovative and how we become healthy mm. and things like that. So that's what we try to do, right? So uh, if you think innovative, like what do we need for that? We need a psychologically safe environment where people can actually speak up because otherwise if ideas don't come up and people um, people are afraid to speak up, then you're not going to have new ideas coming out of places. So you're not going to be innovative in the future. How do, how do you get there? Okay, so you, you need to have a healthy feedback. You need to you need to get people comfortable with giving each other feedback. Um, you need to have good leaders who are mature enough to deal with these things and, and, and ask people for feedback and, and, and things like this. So you, this is what we try to do to create, to, to shape the culture in the way that we thought would help us to be successful in the future. Where have you seen the best? Uh, I'd be really interested to see where you think, yeah. you know, you said cultures have, have effed up and cultures have done things well. What do you think the, it's all dependent on what the company is and what you're trying to do, but where mm-hmm. have you seen the best examples of trying to shape a good culture and how did people do it in your opinion? I think the companies, and I can't name a specific one, but whenever, yeah. so the other day I had to reflect on employee experience because I was running a masterclass on employee experience, right? And I thought about what are the moments that matter? Because this is a new thing, right? 2019, we talked about experiences when employees and candidates, whatever, and the mm-hmm. moments that matter. And I, and I was thinking about the moments in my 20 years of professional career where that matter to me, just where I was either part of a great culture or not, and why that was. And when I thought back about this, there were moments where I was at a, at a turning point where I struggled with my role, where I struggled personally, and different moments that just happened over the course of 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I, um, I was pregnant when I was still probation period and just started this new exciting job. But I had like two months in, I had to go to my boss and say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm pregnant. Didn't plan for that, but it's what it is. And I was afraid of yeah. this moment uh, because I didn't know what he would say because he would probably be very angry or whatever and he literally stood up and gave me a hug and said oh this is so great I'm so happy for you and everything yeah and there was a there there was a couple of moments like this uh, good or bad ones anyways when I thought back about this I thought the moments that matter to me is where I felt that I matter to my bosses Mm -hmm. and it's very basic and none of them ever had an idea about the concept of employee experience or moments that matter uh, or culture they never had trainings on this they were just genuinely good human beings and they mm. were just kind and they just were concerned about the people that they were in charge of. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the baseline maybe might be just this. If you select your leadership right and if you equip them with the right self-awareness, uh, conscientiousness, uh, coaching, mentoring and all they need to really excel in their roles as being in charge of people, then... Mm-hmm. All the other concepts that you can get out of, out of the books and from thought leaders across across the world might be helpful, but they don't they don't turn the needle. Yeah. What does turn the needle is if you have a thorough selection process for the leaders, because I also ultimately think that you join a company because there is someone that you like there that you would mm-hmm. be working with very closely, and most likely this will statistically it will be your boss because yeah. that's the person in, char- in charge of that you join them, right? So he's mm-hmm. he's joining that company. You hear stories across all startups where people just join there because they knew someone there that said, oh, I met this new startup. It's so cool. Do you want to come over? Mm-hmm. Informal job search is by by far statistically the most, most qualitatively source for finding a new fulfilling role that you want to retain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about the people. And this might sound really, really simple. Mm-hmm. But as I said, I think that it's about this is... Do you have the right people in charge of other people that um, share a, a set of behaviors and rules and values that they also signal at every moment to all the employees 
even at those moments you can't never prepare for, um, where you just have to rely on your inner radar or compass or whatever of values, right? Mm-hmm. Some Someone would come up to you and say, look, I have this issue. Someone has fallen sick in my family to take time off. I need to reduce work hours, whatever things. Just mm-hmm. be good at that at that moment. Just be generally authentically good at this moment. Um, and then all the rest of whatever strategic cultural work you do is, is adding on top of it. But if you don't get that part right, all the other things will not help. Yeah, I really like it. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's beautifully simple though. It's like, it's, but you're exactly right. I think it's, I think they also think when you were saying that I was thinking about the times when I've also um, had those moments and, and that is the, they are the special things that you, you remember. Right. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's really, uh, there are things that you can do in the environment to help that, right? By set those expectations for, be, just be clear. This is what you expect from leaders. When when people need you, you're there. Um, you know, have an empathetic ear, listen to people. Like, you can set those expectations and you can say to people, this is what we want from our leaders here, right? Um, and then um, if people aren't doing those things, then they shouldn't be leaders there or they, maybe they're in the wrong role or things like this. But um, I think that's an, a nice, like way of thinking about it. Actually, it resonates with me a lot because this is one thing I always say to people. Um, I even said it in a one-on-one I had this morning, but I saw uh, someone um, doing something today and talking to their team and I hired this person a while ago and um, it actually just seeing the way that the person has grown I was I went into the one-on-one with someone else and I said you know it makes me so happy to see like people growing and and just being happy and enjoying their role and this is why you do it right I think as a leader you should be motivated by by these sorts of things and I tried to I tried to have that um that kind of way of thinking about mm-hmm. things and I, t- I tell my team as well you know we're not just here to to ask people to to do a good job and things like this we're, we're here to also grow great people um hopefully you know hopefully they stay here and grow here but you know i think we, this is how you can actually make an impact on the world outside by by mm-hmm. helping people to become better people and then they go mm-hmm. out and they they are nicer to other people out there or they go and, and they come uh, back and they refer exactly. other people to you yeah. It's, it's a tit for tat thing, right? If you're nice yeah. to people, I mean, you probably you asked me about book re- recommendations, right? So mm-hmm. if if you have read Adam Grant's Give and Take book, that's obviously something that is along that, right? Where mm-hmm. you're either a giver, you're a taker, or you're a matcher in between, but you can't decide to become transform yourself into a giver if you're if you're born a taker. Mm-hmm. So obviously, if you're a giver and you just want to support people around you you want to give something that is of value to them that you have to them and whichever this could be an emotion it could be knowledge it could be just time uh, it could be resources doesn't matter but if you're a giver you're potentially the better leader i guess mm-hmm. if you're yeah. a taker then there's only a few organizations where this will work in most yeah. it will be very toxic mm-hmm. right? I think so I, this is one yeah. concept that you can rely on and then I also, another book that I read recently, which is very anecdotal, makes a great Christmas gift for all non-HR leaders in your organization. It's called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. Oh, yes, Coyer. I've read that one. Yeah, right? it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really nice. written. It's full of anecdotes. And you remember this story about um, the NBA coach who yes. had this mantra that was just filling up the cups of his teams, right? Making sure mm-hmm. that they recover from from losses that they're that they're good that they're energized that they feel as you said psychologically safe mm-hmm. um under high stress mm-hmm. and this is all that he worked on and he did have different tactics in order to do so so i don't think it, it's 
I do think it's really valuable to give those tactics to a leader and inspire them with things that they could do, like the little hacks that they can apply. How do they send signals? What is feedback, actually? Is this instruction or is this feedback? Right? Mm-hmm. And give them the guidance and methodologies they need to really do their job. But it, first and foremost, you need to select the people that are actually equipped personally to to do that and who really thrive from it. If you Because, for example, I was in charge of people and I hated it because it takes energy off mm. me, literally. It, it, yeah. it drains me because I hate being in charge of people. I don't mm. know why that is. I can't change this. I could potentially build up coping strategies and be in charge of people again. Mm. But I don't think it would be for to anyone's benefit in yeah. the long run. But I think the fact that you're honest about that, right, and authentic to yourself, it probably draws even people think you you have those leadership skills because I think the authenticity is a major part of it and knowing yourself, right. So I and I think. Uh, I, I work with a lot of leaders who actually we had an offsite here uh, last week and most people said they were um, introverts, right? And that, yeah. that it does drain them and it does take their energy. And, you know, people are thinking maybe I need to go into become an expert in something and rather than, than lead exactly. people. But uh, yeah, and, and uh, that was it, it's good to, to be honest about this, because I think, um, you know, you, you need to also be happy and, and understand what, what makes you happy and what, and what drives you. Um, exactly. Yeah. And it starts with yourself, right? Because the reason I think why I loathe being in charge of people, because it also includes to some extent that you need to tell them what to do, give mm. them instructions of some sort, maybe even good ones, but give them direction. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, an instruction would be direction or vice versa. But anyways, give them guidance. Mm-hmm. And I hate being given guidance. I'm a very autonomous and independence driven person. I yeah. hate when people tell me what to do. I give you a very simple example. I'm, I love cooking. I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with buying cookbooks. I read them front to back. Mm-hmm. I never stick to the recipe. <laughs> is, 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 that, oh, is that OCD? I hate when people tell me how much specific grams of butter I should include in that. Yeah. What yeah, if I, I tweak this? Yeah. What, if, what if Nigel Slater is wrong about this, right? You're so an innovator. If, yeah, exactly. No, I'm a disruptor. I'm, I'm very yeah. disobedient also, which is probably all the same things. Anyways, so... If you were to tell me what to do, I would I would probably if I don't respect you on top, mm-hmm. I would probably not do it, right? Yeah. And this is why on on the reverse, I hate giving instructions to other people because I assume that they're as much as as that type that I am, mm-hmm. and that they would probably as default hate being given instructions. I do love to educate people and I do love to share know-how. This is what I genuinely love doing, but I don't like telling people what to do nine to five. Like as in when you come into the office, this is how you do this and this is what you do there and this is where you click. This is what I what I loathe. And this is also part of leadership. And there's people who like that. Who yeah. people who also like to receive orders. Then they like to give orders. And as I said, it always starts with knowing more about yourself, which never hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, being more self-aware about your strength, uh, whichever way you come about those. But this mm-hmm. is where you know, do you have the capabilities and the potential of what it takes to be a manager or a leader or not? And it's it should be cool if you're not. If you're opting out of that leadership path, it should be cool with any organization. And this is where organizations then struggle because there's only one way up, be in charge of people. Yeah. The only status that you can reach is be in charge of people. 
<laughs> no, you're totally right, and it's like, and people, you you see it so much, right? That that people, the the best performers who were doing great as a you know an engineer or something, all of a sudden find themselves miserable um, in charge of a team of uh, you know eight other engineers, and it's never what they wanted, but it was the only way they could um, could go up, right? But you need a way for people to to keep progressing in their salary, in their seniority, um, mm-hmm. doing what they love, you know. So I, I completely completely agree. Yeah, and one way of doing that is probably we should incentivize people more on building up new skills because I think that whichever skill and leadership is a skill as much as being better at specific, let's say, programming languages is also a skill. But you should, if I think personally that the the currency of the 21st century is a skill, the skills that you own, the skills that you build up, the skills that you that you discover for yourself and from a curiosity build up into something that you can sell on the market and be employed Mm -hmm. for or hired for. Um, and we should probably use that as the as the benchmark for how we measure someone's salary. The mm-hmm. more skills you build up at, at maybe even a faster pace, the more you put them to use, the mm-hmm. more money you get. And if you're just stuck, you don't yeah. get paid more. You're still good with the skills you have. But, you know, half-life of skills has gone down to like four years now. So you really? need to, yeah, you need to all the time, you need to build up new skills. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're opting out of that, you're obviously less employable. Yeah. And they, these are the, the the people that I think everyone wants in the in the in, I mean Berlin, but the modern workplace, right? It's it's always about reflecting on yourself, about learning new things, and being able to adapt, right? It's having that mental agility to jump into any challenge, any problem, any new role, really, because you're yeah. asked to change all the time. You're asked to reinvent yourself all the time, and I think learning this skill is is critical. I think um, if you're if you want to yeah. have a you know. Um, a really long and enjoyable career. I mean, putting yourself in a box isn't helpful in the best of times, but like, um, but but even more so in today's in today's workplaces where there, you know, people want you to work in an agile way, which is all about reflecting and like, and growing yeah. and 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 doing all this stuff. But it requires three things, maybe uh, very simplified. It should be that you a found a way for yourself to learn. So, what is your path to learning and building up skills? Because it could be being in a room with other people, reading books, podcasts, trying them. It doesn't matter. What is your format and how you learn? What mm. comes easy to you? And the second part would be, what are you curious about? Because I'm 100% sure you can't build up skills of things that you're not generally curious about. Mm-hmm. I'm super shy at math <laughs> because I just don't, it's just don't get it, right? It yeah. doesn't come, I could probably be a bit better at math if I wanted to. If I'm really obsessed about it, but it doesn't come natural to me. Although on the other side, there's more things that come natural to me that I'm really curious about. And mm. I find myself doing like net late night research things where I'm just going deep dive into stuff that I just mm. I'm excited about. So it would require that you also have this. And yep. then also, I think you should you should have a room in which you grow in order to do that. You need to take the time to do it. Mm-hmm. So knowing what you're curious about and then also finding the, the, the ways and means and the time to, to take time off to learn mm-hmm. and the space that you need for it is mm-hmm. what you need to do. And I think we could give this as organizations. We should be giving this to everyone and help them in the first place to find where they're curious about and then how they can go and how they can stay on that path. Mm-hmm. But then the most people, the people that you know that are really unhappy in their roads is because they are stuck in a road that they don't care about. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Yeah, it's very, very inspiring talking to you. Actually, it's nice to it's nice, <laughs> to, nice to listen. And, and I think I think actually we're, we're we're probably fairly similar because I think what you said about uh, cooking as well. I also love to cook, but I hate following recipes as well. <laughs> and, uh, so we I don't need think... to we need to yeah. we need to create a lunch at sum up and figure out yeah. how we, what would come out of it. It would be an experiment. It would, it would yeah. probably not be edible, but it would be a great process. <laughs> yeah, I, I started uh, baking biscuits <laughs> with my with my daughter and things like that, and because um, she likes to sort of bake at the weekend and my um my wife's always like oh, guys just follow the recipe like then we can have some nice biscuits one weekend and i'm like no it's more fun like this we'll innovate you know we'll we'll, we'll this is how you push new recipes on right like by uh, fun knowing exactly how it would taste at the end yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i'm also bad at maths as well so <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is the the common common theme for people in hr hating <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> instructions and being better at no but yeah Go on, you were going to say something? No, I was just saying that, yeah, I think that baseline is, uh, if you're in HR, also, I think that you need to be obsessed about various things. You need to be really eclectic with your learning, right? Yeah. So maybe there's something to learn from books uh, that are full of recipes, but there's also so many other things that you need to look at in HR. Mm-hmm. Coming back to our initial thought about the collective and the individual wisdom, right? Um, I never read HR books. Mm-hmm. I read books left and right that are somewhat related to people just yeah. and this always gives me best inspiration for my work in HR. Yeah, um, I do the same actually. Uh, like I, I like to read. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit more interested in the, the sort of how people build companies kind of thing, and I think that helps us to become better in in HR. Actually, I, I don't read like specific HR books. I do like things about culture. I'm reading this Ben Horowitz book at the moment. This um, what you do is who you are, which is which is interesting. But uh, is yeah, it good? It's, on my it's good. List. It's very good um, because what I like about it is he brings in like things from history um, that are like um, things that have like someone, for example, he tells a story of someone who went to prison and um, became the gang leader in prison and then basically um, changed the whole culture of this prison gang so that they when they leave, they help to reform communities and things like this. And then um, so he he tells these different stories and then and sort of tells about um, real people and historical figures and uh, in Genghis Khan is one that he talks about a lot in there and then sort of says well what lessons can be learned from these things for modern day companies uh, it's so it's quite interesting it, it, little it's a kind of a different take on on those things so I, I like I'm liking it so far I'm, I'm sort of like or three quarters through at the moment I have one for you in return which I was really excited about and um, mm-hmm. I'm totally obsessed with anything Malcolm Gladwell but mm-hmm. I've just listened to his audiobook uh, talking to strangers. So he's reading oh. it himself, which is also uh, another day of fun. Yeah. But this is so good. There's so many good things about the, in this book that I, I'm, I'm going I'm going to listen to it twice. I think um, because oh, it's nice. so full of stories and anecdotes, and it's just the way he compiles those stories is really, yeah. it really sticks. And then you I, anecdotes are great because you can memorize and share them, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, it's always nice to have those those sorts of yeah things to take away. For sure. Throw them in at dinner parties or business meetings. Yeah, yeah. one, <laughs> no, one I wanted to, yeah, one yeah. I wanted to throw in actually when you were talking about leadership. One, I, I don't know where I picked this up. But I heard it or read it recently, and it's been in my head. I've been saying it a lot in the last week. But like the best, the best leaders um, stand in front of their team when there's uh, trouble, and uh, stand behind their team when things are going good. And that was quite, it's quite nice. I thought um, when you were talking about leadership, I was thinking about it, and it's kind of um, that's that's a nice one that I've been saying recently. So now that's off my chest. <laughs> it's out there in the world that's good 
No, but it's a great one. And I think this is exactly what you need to do. You need to equip your leaders with all those thoughts and inspire, inspire them with all those hacks and, and tweaks and what they can do in order to be also seen as the leader that they want to become. Because you can't just, you, you're not, I mean, there's obviously people who claim that you can bo- be born a leader. I think that, yeah, you can have the potential to be a great leader, but then you still need the methodologies, the training, the coaching, and all those things around it to be really good at it. Because the worst leaders are those that have a different perception of who they are than the one that we have of them when we see them Mm -hmm. from the outside, right? So I think making them more aware uh, and in the know of what what they're good at and what they can and and, and strive in um, Mm -hmm. is most important part maybe also of HR. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'd love to pick your brains on on what you think, like what you see as the the best innovations or the best things that are happening in HR tech and things like this. But maybe that not a lot of companies are catching up on, or yeah, anything on your mind in that area at the moment? Yeah, and there's a couple of um, very unsupported, very personal, very subjective, non scientifically proven predictions. I was. Uh, I have for 2020. Uh, I also shared them at at some events recently. Um, One of which would be that I think that next year is to come um, as the global talent scarcity will be even more challenging. Uh, We need to figure out ways to build up better talent pools and create better internal mobility. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this will be something that where where HR can learn a lot from TA in order to do something like internal talent acquisition, internal recruitment better. So mm-hmm. the best things that we've learned from external recruitment, how we, can we apply them to internal? How we can how can we enable our people to move within our organization better? Mm-hmm. Um, because it also starts with the question, this is also my second thing, is that we need to be more obsessed about the skills that we have in our company. Mm-hmm. We should be more obsessed with knowing and detecting them and in mm-hmm. real time. And this is where technology be, can, can be your, your friend, where you need to find ethical manners in order to know what's this Stephen actually aware of? Mm-hmm. What does he, what's the skills that he's building up and how, how can we use them? And what might be his next skill? And mm-hmm. what are the skills that he has, but we don't care about and he doesn't care about anymore and all those things. So I think that skill detection is another thing that I see more of because as said, technology is, is here Someone, something that is helping us to to build up those skill ontologies and whatever is needed. Um, I think these are the, the ones that I'm really personally excited about. Um, so internal mobility and better skill detection in order to face the the global talent uh, scarcity better. Super interesting. Yeah, you've made me think a lot about ours then, um, just because we were, mm. we were talking a lot about this. And, and I think we uh, we're also an international company in many d- different countries. And I was actually thinking, um, how can we leverage this a lot more and, and build up a better internal uh, mobility as well? So, no, it's, uh, that, that just gave me a lot of food for thought. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, because I would assume that uh, this is... I think that you don't know a lot about the skills of your people. You you stopped mm-hmm. learning about them when you hired them. And then mm-hmm. what, maybe what you do is you do your performance management things and their managers know more than you, but there should mm-hmm. be some central manners in which you can really assess the skills that you have. And then also it would be obviously unlocking strategic workforce planning because you would also see your skill gaps, mm-hmm. which is like the dream of most recruiters to, yeah. to recruit strategically. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and we're 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 actually working on those uh, those things at the moment. But I'm just thinking, even just just talking to you now, I'm thinking what could what more could we do in that area? And I think there's still a lot more we could do. So mm -hmm. if you have any more time in the future and you want to discuss those things, feel free to <laughs> come by for a coffee. <laughs> if um, I have answers to my questions, because I <laughs> have a lot of questions, and I've learned at another conference this year actually that questions are way more valuable than answers, and I like that. This is my th has been my theme for this year. I, I come with a lot of questions. I don't come with a lot of answers, but I think also having good questions is is a good starting point are you talking at more conferences can people come and see you oh, and meet yeah you? god yeah i did 33 speaking engagements this year which was oh, wow. way too much yeah 25 trips across the world actually uh, way too much this year so it's like a diverging converging diamond right so i'm going mm. to do less of this next year um, i'm already declining some but I'm, i will do the selected few that i really like so um on top of some local meetups here in berlin of which I even run some with my secret HR society. I am really excited about events like Wreckfest in London in summer or even local ones in Germany, like the recruiting convent in May in Cologne. Mm. So there's some that I'm still, I, I like where, I like the vibe, the, the people running in and them and, and the topics. Um, nice. But I don't do as many anymore. But I'm I'm a very visible person either or, so people can always reach out to me on, on whichever channel they love if it's not Xing. Oh, yeah, terrible. <laughs> I hate that, that, that platform. <laughs> um, but no, that's, that's 33 speaking engagements last year. Wow. Yeah. Um, I made a list. You know what? I made a list of them and I thought, okay, which of them did I really like? Which of them gave me energy? Mm -hmm. And there's not How many? too many. I decided to do my first one in about five years uh, next year because um, so I never really do this. And having two young kids, I didn't really get the time. And I thought, OK, I just I've been building up teams for a while and I just didn't have the energy. So I thought, OK, next year I want to do this because I also wanted to take the moment to kind of look back and reflect and, and write, make a presentation about the journey so far of what we've done. And I thought it's a good time to share because we'll also be mm -hmm. recruiting a lot of people next year so right. <laughs> uh, in in hr as well so um and then a nice person approached me from intra.net reloaded I've, ne I've not heard of it but it was in berlin and i thought okay this can be the one because it was a good timing it was april end of april so nice. i'm going to talk there about the the sum ups transformation over the last um last year and a half basically if you're able to craft stories out of your hr experiences then you have an audience and then you will also enjoy it more because most of the talks i didn't enjoy where i was just sharing information where yeah. i love it is where i share share a story and it becomes the story of my audience right yeah. stories have a big power good way to end it because the stories are key in building the culture actually this is also in culture code no it's about the storytelling and the belonging yes. and all those things yeah, exactly. exactly yeah <laughs> yeah Cool. Well, thanks so much. It was really it was really great to speak to you. Really inspiring. So, thanks a lot.